while they receive the offering, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Pull them out. Uh, you're going to want a Bible this morning. So if you did not bring a Bible, there's one underneath the seat you are sitting in. as a blue one. You can pull that out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 to begin with. That's on page 911, okay? 911. Don't, don't dial it, but turn there in the Bible, all right? Uh, page 911 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, for at least the first part of our time, we're going to bounce around a bit. We're going to look at a number of different uh, scriptures in text. And i got to warn you, um, it's going to be a little bit of drinking from a fire hose uh, this morning. We have been in this series uh, called The Church of Jesus Christ uh, for several weeks now. And for those of you who are new, you're like, wait, what? Um, it's not what you think. It, it really is not what you think. We've been asking the question, what is the church? What, what is this church that Jesus has established? What is this church that Jesus built, right? We said that, that the church has been created by God through the gospel, and it's a people, it's a people created by God through the gospel. The gospel creates, it creates a people. It creates a people for God that exists for him. And we just kind of talked about that a, a minute ago. As I was saying, like, and that's, 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 that's kind of the, the sum of it all is that we might understand and realize that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We are his people, right? So the church, or the, God, the gospel creates a people uh, for God. And we've been wrestling through different questions like, what, what does that mean for us? H how is the church to be? What is the church supposed to do? Right? And then this morning we're going to ask a question that, that might be a little awkward for some of you, that, that might make you squirm a little bit. Um, but my hope is that by the end, you will walk out of here with clarity and you'll walk out of here with purpose. The question is this. Who holds the authority in the church? Who's in charge here? Okay? In the local church, right here, Flourishing Grace, who's in charge? Who, who's Who's running the show? Who, 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 are we, who are we submitting our lives to? What, what are we, how does that work? And what does that look like? Right? In the last ser service, somebody shouted out Jesus. And I said, that's a Sunday school answer. Um, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper than just Jesus. It's true in church. You can always yell that out, and it pretty much works every time. Um, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper than that. Um, and and it, might, it might surprise you a little bit who actually is in charge here. It might surprise you a little bit. First, we're going to begin on this passage, Matthew 16, near Flourishing Grace. We believe that the Word holds a unique authority over our lives. And so if you would, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word for us this morning? Matthew 16. My voice cracked. I'm like a teenage boy. Matthew 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now here's where we're going to camp out for a bit. Verse 18 and 19. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was Christ. You guys can have a seat. This is the word of the Lord. This text 
in so many different ways over the years has been misunderstood and misapplied to the church. It's a, church that, it's a text that we go to often for the question of who's in charge, right? Because in this text, Jesus gives Peter something that would indicate that he is a level of some sort of like responsibility, right? He gives him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he gives him the authority to bind and loosen not just things on earth, but he says what you bind and loosen here will be bound and loosened in heaven. Now that language of bind and loosening, we'll get into that later, but it's a, it's a, it's a rabbinic language. So the rabbis of the day, they would have understood this. The disciples would have known this right away, right? The rabbis would bind and loosen. They would say, these are the things that are bound, you must obey, right? These are things you must do, these are things you must not do. These are bound. These are things that are loosened. And so different schools of thought in the day within, within the Hebrew culture, right? Different schools, different rabbis would teach, these things are bound and these things are loose. And so others would say, no, these things are bound and these things are loose. And, and that's how they would refer to those things. And what Jesus is saying to Peter is, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Like you hold the authority to say, Hey, what you are doing, what this person is doing is not okay. And that authority translates into heaven as well. You hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, right? But I'm going to make the case this morning that while Peter is unique, what is given to him is not given exclusively to him. You see, this is where we've gotten this wrong. You see, people have said, because, because Jesus gave it to Peter, Peter holds all authority. Some have even said that Peter is now infallible, and whoever holds this role is also infallible, right? Can do no wrong, right? But we know that just a few chapters later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, and he's talking to Peter. He, he literally calls the guy Satan. We know that a few chapters after that, that Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter's a mess. P Peter's life is a mess. He's not infallible. He's not, he's not perfect nor is anyone who has ever come after him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Peter does not hold this, this, um, this authority that is just for him. It's not exclusive. Now, I will say this. It is unique because Peter is the first. Peter is the first one ever to say that Jesus is who Jesus actually is. He's the first one to ever say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the first one to ever get that, to ever understand that, and to say it out loud. Jesus says, you got it, it's right. And he says, you are Peter. Now in the Greek, that word Peter, that's not his actual name. His name's not actually Peter, right? That's not the name his mom gave him. That's the name that Jesus gave him. And Peter, Petros, means rock. Little rock, little stone, like almost like gravel or, uh, yeah, it would be, be like a little piece of gravel, Petros. So he says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, rock, big, large, immovable rock, I will build my church. He says, you are a little stone, and on this big boulder, I'm going to build my church. He's talking about two different Rocks. The rock that Jesus is talking about is the answer to, to, to the question that he asks. Peter's answer, right? Who do people say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone of the church. Peter, Peter is the first stone to go on top of that stone. Peter understands this. Jesus understands this. We know that they understand it this way because this is how they go on to teach it. Peter goes on to teach it. 
to the churches that he plants and that he oversees. He, he writes it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9, or sorry, 2, 4 through 9. It says it this way. I'll be putting on the screen for you. As you, followers of Jesus, as you come to him, to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be put to shame. So, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's what we were talking about earlier, right? We are his. That you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Peter understands that what Jesus told to him, like that, that moment is burned into his brain. You are the rock, the first stone. Right? Peter is special. Who doesn't want to be the first? I want to be the first, right? The first man on the moon, the first God ever climb Everest, right? The first, the first is cool. Peter's special, but it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. Peter understands that. Peter goes on to teach the followers of Jesus that, that are under his care, that this is not exclusive to him. We are all stones. And one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, are building this house, this temple for our God, the church. It's how he's being built. You are just like him. As you engage the lives of your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, Jesus is placing more and more stones on top of you. As they become followers of Jesus, he's placing those stones on top of you and is building this beautiful, 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 beautiful picture of the church. That's what the church is. His temple, his bride, his house. So the church is, and he's building it through you. He's saying, Peter, you are the building material. And the same thing that he said to Peter is he's saying to you, Jeremy, you are the building material. As you engage your neighbors and your friends, your coworkers, Jesus is using you. You are one of the rocks that he's placing on top of another rock. And he's placing more rocks on top of you. We all stand on the shoulders of someone who led us to Christ. You stand on top of someone else. And others will stand on top of you. As you follow Jesus and as your life magnifies and displays the one who led you out of spiritual darkness into spiritual life, you become a rock, a stone, a building material of the church. Now here's where I'm going with this. If that is not exclusive to Peter, what is said next is also not exclusive to Peter. The next thing that Jesus says is that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. That's not exclusive to Peter either. Right? What does this mean? What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Well, um, it's, it's really quite simple, actually, right? If, 
if my neighbor goes out of town on vacation, okay, and he says, Josh, I need you to watch over my house. Here's the keys. I got a guy that's coming on Tuesday. He's going to deliver a package. I need that put in the house. I got some cleaner people that are going to come on Thursday. I need you to let them into the house. Um, and then my son's friend's going to come over and return something they borrowed. I need you to let him in the house on Saturday, right? What has he given me? He's given me access, responsibility. He's given me some authority. He's entrusted to me authority over his house, Right? I have access, I have responsibility, and I have been entrusted with some authority over the house. Now, do I have total authority over the house? No. If my neighbor comes home and I'm having a big party with 50 of my closest friends, like just rocking in his living room, we got a problem, right? If all the stuff is gone because it's at my house after when he comes back, we got a problem, right? He doesn't give me total authority. Who's still the, who still holds authority over the house? The owner. The owner does. And so who holds authority over the house that's being built up? And one stone upon another, these living stones building the house. Who holds authority over the house? The owner. Who's the owner? Sunday school answer. There we go. All right, sweet. Matthew 28, the verse that every follower of Jesus knows, right? The Great Commission. The first word of the Great Commission is? Dang it. Okay. Most people say go. It's not go. It's all Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How much authority? All of it. There's not one ounce of authority in all of heaven, in all of earth, that does not belong to him. This is the sum of the Christian life, that we would understand that he owns all all that our life is for him it is to contain and display to magnify the greatness and the excellence of the one who has called us into spiritual from spiritual darkness into spiritual light he owns all everything in his prized possession is his glory in his church prized possessions of christ are his glory in his church he holds all authority in his church. Paul writes about it this way in Colossians 1:18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. Ephesians 1:22. And he, God, put all things under his Christ feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. God, the Father, has put all things in subject to Christ, and he has placed the, him over the church. The church belongs to Christ. It is his possession. All authority is his. If Christ grows, if the church grows, Christ grew it. 1 Corinthians 3.16 if the church is disciplined, if the church goes through a period of suffering for its good, it's because Christ disciplined it. Hebrews 12, 6. If the church shrinks, it's because Christ shrunk it. He is the one doing it. He is the one leading and guiding. He is the one responsible for the care of the church. All authority belongs to him. However, the owner has entrusted the keys to you. In me. The keys of the kingdom of heaven, the keys 
of his kingdom are entrusted to you. Now, I'm notorious for losing keys. Right now, I don't know where my house keys are. They've been missing for like a month. I climb through the window every day. It's true. The keys of the kingdom of heaven sound like important keys. You probably don't want to lose those. He has entrusted these to us. How do we know this? How do we know that this is true, right? I said earlier that Peter didn't, didn't believe that this was exclusive to him. Jesus did not say this to be exclusive to Peter. We've, we know this because Matthew 16 is totally inextricably linked to Matthew 18. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip there. It'll be up here on the screen if you don't, or if you don't want to. Matthew 18 is the kind of passage. Matthew 18, verse, starting verse 15, is the passage on kind of church management, church discipline, church care, okay? Matthew 18, verse 15, reads this way. It says, if your brother sins, if someone in the church sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now listen to verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same words from Matthew 16. It's the exact same words. In the Greek, it's the exact same words. In the Greek, those words, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven, are the exact same words. And not only are they the exact same words, they are unique. They're unique. If I can just nerd out on you for a moment, okay? In the Greek, that sentence is written in what's called the future perfect paraphrastic tense. <laughs> All right, now that's over. Who cares? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why this matters, okay? It's rare. It's rare. In fact, it's so rare, it's only found in all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, twice. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. And the way it reads in the Greek is this. Whatever you bind on earth will be having been bound in heaven. Now, that doesn't roll off the tongue in English, so we translate it a little bit differently. Will have been will have been bound in heaven. Will be having been bound in heaven. Will be having been bound. Will be having been bound. Man, that doesn't, this doesn't, you have to wrap your mind around it, but here's what Jesus is saying. First to Peter, Matthew 16, but then to the whole church in Matthew 18, he's saying the same thing. He's saying that when you say, man, this is not okay, that what you're doing right now is outside the bounds of Scripture. When we say that, when we look at the Bible, when we get together and we say, man, this is what the Word of God says for our lives, and we say, man, what you're doing is not okay. You're actually being disobedient to the authority, the one who holds all authority. You're being disobedient to Christ. Christ, we hold the authority to say that that's not okay. And when we say that's not okay, we know we have this assurance from Christ that when we say, man, that's not okay, it's not okay in heaven either. It's already been bound in heaven. 
And we say, man, you know what? I think what you're doing is actually okay. What you're doing is right and good in the eyes of Christ. We have the authority to engage that, to say that as well. And so the, so the way this works, and the reason, why, the reason why this is crucial, what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. The question, who holds the authority within the church? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a partner at Flourishing Grace, it's been entrusted to you. You do. You hold that authority. When we see someone within the church, a brother or sister in Christ, someone who loves Jesus, doing something that contradicts the one who holds all authority, something that's going against the owner of the house, you are the one responsible. You are the one that's been entrusted with the keys. You're the one supposed to show up and say, hey, that's not okay. You can't party in the hot tub. That's your job. It's your job. Now, there's a right way to go about that and a wrong way to go about that. It's to be a loving thing. A loving thing. We love A, we love the owner of the house. He's preeminent. He's above all things. We love him, and he's entrusted us with this authority. And so therefore, we cannot let this slip. It's crucial for the health of the church, his bride, that he loves. He loves his house. He loves his church. We can't let this slip. And so when we see a brother or sister of Christ whom he loves, we are to say, hey, that sin in your life, it is separating you from the master, the owner, the, the, the one who is preeminent above all, who loves you. It's separating you from him. We're to go to them privately to say, say brother, sister, man, what you're doing, is, it's not okay. According to the authority of the word, according to the one who owns the house, like, you're, not, you're not allowed to, to jump off the balcony. It's not okay. Like, you're not allowed to be here right now. We're, we've been given the authority to say that. If that person who's a follower of Jesus still does not listen, we take it to a few more people. So those people, a few more followers of Jesus who are partners of Flourishing Grace, we, we go to them together. We say, man, this isn't something this guy's just making up. Like, we all, we all actually see this. This is actually a problem. What you're doing there, it's, it's outside of the bounds of Scripture. It's not, it's not okay. If they still don't listen... They still don't listen. A few people have gotten together and said, man, I see this in your life. It, it's separating you from Christ. It's tearing you apart. It's, it's, it's a problem within the church. It's creating this tension. Man, I see this in you. Who do we take it to then? The priest. The pope. The bishop. The grand poopah. Who do we take it to? The church. We take it to the church collectively. You see, this is hard for us to understand. It's, it's hard for, for us to make sense of this because it doesn't, it doesn't compute in our everyday normal lives, right? In your house, if you, if you are a parent, who holds the authority in your house? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, it depends on the day. I mean, they get kind of crazy. I mean, they're getting stronger than I am, um, right? Who holds the authority in your house? The parents hold the authority, right? Some of you are like, no, 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 my, my, my wife actually holds it. No, no, your parent, the parents hold the authority, right? The parents hold the authority in, in the house. It's, it's the parents who hold the authority, right? Not the kids, hopefully, prayerfully, right? And, and so, so when one kid is, is pestering another kid and stealing the other kid's toys, then the kid is supposed to, okay, all right? Supposed to come to the parents. Right? If they can't figure it out on their own, that's the rule in our house. If they can't figure it out on their own, they're supposed to come to the parents. And the parents might engage and use their authority to solve the problem. 
The way the church functions is collectively, collectively, we are a family of parents. We are the parents. But as individuals, we are the child. And so we hold authority over I. If that makes any sense at all. You hold authority over me. And yet collectively, we hold authority over you. And collectively, you hold authority over the person sitting next to you. If you're a partner here at Flourishing Grace, this is the way the church is meant to function, to be for the love of Christ and for the love of each other, that we might be engaged in each other's life enough to say, man, man, what you're doing, the road that you're on is going to separate you from Christ. The things that you're doing are taking you away from, the, from, from what the gospel has called you to. We want to bring you back. We want to love you well. This is the way it's meant to function. So the authority has been entrusted to the church. But not everyone in the church has been called to a level of leadership. This is where things get really interesting, right? In the New Testament church, we see clearly there are leaders who have been placed within that church. The church holds the authority, but then there's leaders within that authority. How does this work? We see it clearly. There's evidence of it in Scripture. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, We beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In Acts 20.28, Paul's speaking to the leaders, the elders in the church of Ephesus. He says, Take, take heed to yourselves and to the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. We see this again and again and again throughout Scripture, that there are, there are leaders amongst those who hold the authority. So the church holds this authority, but then there's leaders amongst them. Now some of you might, it's like, how does this work? It, it seems to contradict itself. Like, how can, how can people who hold the authority submit that authority to people who are leading, and the people who are leading submit that leadership to those who hold authority? How's that work? John Piper, who is a pastor and theologian in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, said it so well. I'll just read to you what he said. It'll be up here on the screen. He says, There's a great difference between leadership that inspires and models and mobilizes and teaches and persuades and points the way in ministry and mission versus the corporate authority of the congregation that puts doctrinal and moral boundaries around that leadership and holds it accountable to serve the good of the church. Congregational authority and strong leadership under that authority are not incompatible. They are biblical and are vital. I think he puts it so well. that They complement each other. They go hand in hand. The, the a church holds authority over the leaders, and the leaders hold, hold that authority over the church. That they, they are tasked to, to lead, to set direction, to, to care for the church, to care for its ministries, and, and to oversee it, to govern it. Well, at the same time, the church is responsible for the care of the actual church and holds authority over those actual individual people. In the New Testament, these leaders are called elders. Every church in the New Testament had elders, but not every person was an elder. Not every member 
was an elder. Only a select few were called by God and met a strict requirements. We see these requirements in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I'll read to you from Titus 1 this morning. Titus 1, 5 through 9 reads this way. Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that, he might, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. We see these elders in every single church in the New Testament. Every single one. There, there is not one church that, that we can say, see in the New Testament and we say, and they, they didn't have elders actually. No, every single church. Paul commands Titus there to, to appoint elder in every single town. Peter com- commands people to appoint elders in every single church. A- every single church, again and again and again, we see this. There are leaders appointed known as elders. The, that name, that title is actually uh, used in different ways. Um, we see in, in Scripture that the title of pastor, overseer, bishop, and elder are actually all the same. It wasn't until, until hundreds of years later that we begin to break those apart and give different meanings to each one of those. In the Word of God, they're, they're all the same. They're all the same. Here at, Leech, here, here at Flourishing Grace, we've given it a different title, actually. Our elders are called lead shepherds. Lead shepherds. Why would we do that? Why would we change uh, the title that we find in the Word of God? Um, well, because in our culture... In our community, in our day, uh, the, the word elder, the title elder, actually takes on a different meaning. It's a misunderstood thing in our culture. Lead shepherd, we believe, actually, just in and of itself, um, does a good job of explaining what an elder is and what an elder does. We find this in the Bible. We take it from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. It reads this way. Peter says to the church, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Christ, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." This language actually describes what an elder does. He performs the basic duties of a shepherd. Elders feed, lead, and protect the flock. We see them feeding and leading in verses like 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So they rule, they exercise like a governance and organization, and, and they, they're, they're caring for different ministries and different things going on within the, within the church. They're, they're ruling over those who hold the authority by caring for them, by, by managing things that are going on around them, right? 
But then they're also feeding through the, by preaching and teaching the Word of God. So they lead, they feed, but then they also protect. We see this in Acts, Acts 20, verse 27 through 30. Paul says this, he says, pay, we read part of this earlier, pay careful attention to yourselves, he's speaking to the elders, and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Now he says this, he follows that up with this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away uh, the disciples after them, right? Paul says, man, it's your job to make sure that the church is protected, cared for, that, that, that no one is leading them astray or saying things that aren't true or doing things that are, that are inappropriate or wrong. So, so there's kind of three levels of authority. Above all is Christ. He mediates that authority through the Word and through His Holy Spirit. But Christ has entrusted the authority of the church to the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a partner of Flourishing Grace, He's entrusted that authority to you. You hold that authority. But then at the same time, He's called us to raise up leaders amongst us who would lead us, who would lead those who hold the authority. This is different than any way that the... the that we see in the world around us is, is different than a system of government, right? There's, there's, no, there's no president that sits with all authorities, the commander of chief of all things, right? Christ would be that. Christ would be that. But he's entrusted authority to the church. That there's no one person that's a, that is responsible for all things that we must submit all things to other than Christ. He is the one. But he's entrusted the authority of the church to the church. And we raise up leaders amongst us to lead us, to organize us, to help us move forward, and to care for us. Now, some of you might say, well, who, why, why, is this, why is this important? Who, who cares? Flourishing Grace is only two years old. We just celebrated our second birthday. And I believe that if we are going to be healthy, if we're going to be a church that celebrates its 22nd birthday, if Christ tarries, this is important. It's important that those within the church, followers of Jesus who are partners at Flourishing Grace, it is important that you feel the weight and the responsibility that's been entrusted to you by Christ. You've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The people who are sitting around you right now are your responsibility and they're under your care. You're called to love them as Christ loves them. We're called to raise up leaders among us, to raise up lead shepherds who will lead us forward. Our lead shepherds oversee, the, uh, in some capacity, the core ministries of the church, family ministry, small groups, outreach, the Sunday gathering, our staff, um, and, and then special needs that arise, special, special care concerns. If there's something that's going on that says, man, this is going to require a lot of attention, we have a lead shepherd that sits over that. But then collectively, all of them are watching over our partners. They're saying, man, how are our partners doing? How are, how, are, how are their marriages? How are their families? How are their relationships with Jesus? How can we be encouraging them? How can we be loving them? How can we be equipping them? That's the role of our lead shepherds. I want to encourage you this morning to look out for your brothers and sisters, to look out for those in this room, to care for them, to realize that you have an authority over their life, and they have an authority over yours. And to never cease to pray and encourage our lead shepherds. 
They work tirelessly to care for you. Think about them. Encourage them. Pray for them. I believe that if Flourishing Grace is going to be healthy a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, it's going to be because we understand this and we grasp this. It's a key part of the church. This is how Jesus has called us to be, to organize, to be his people, to be his church. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are our chief shepherd. Above all, you rule all things. You hold authority over all things. You are the king of kings. Might we be a people who gladly submit our lives to you to find all of our joy and all of our satisfaction, all of our delight in the denial of ourself and realizing that we are not our own, but we are yours. And might we faithfully work to help everyone at Flourishing Grace do the same. Might we be a loving community who leads well, who engages in each other's lives well. Might we wield this authority that you've entrusted to us with the utmost grace and love and compassion as we engage in each other's lives for your glory, for your fame, for your renown, and for their good. Might we be humble when it's wielded in our lives, when, when, our, when our brother or our sister calls us out and says, man, what you're doing right there, that's not, that's not according to the word of God. That's outside of the bounds that, that, that Christ, our authority, has set for you. Might we be a humble people who are quick to repent, say, I'm sorry, that we might be brought back into a right standing with you and a right standing within the church. Might we trust and love and encourage and pray for our lead shepherds, knowing that they are keeping watch over our souls, that one day they will stand before you and they will give an account. Might we encourage them well, breathe courage in their life, let them know that they are trusted, that they are loved. Give them the strength to fulfill those expectations that are laid out in First Timothy and Titus. Be with them. Be with your church. Pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.